to our service this morning here at the Boomville Church of Christ. Thank you for being here and being part of our service today on Father's Day. We're glad that you're here. We come together this morning to worship the Lord. Let's begin our time together in prayer. Our Father, we are truly thankful to you for all of the blessings that you bestow upon us every day. And Father, we are thankful for the congregation of your people that meet here. And we pray that you will be with every effort that's put forth to show the love of Jesus in this community and around the world. Be with us as we enter into our time of worship today. We pray that we can do so in a manner well-pleasing to you. These things we ask through Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. First song will be New Doxology. If you would stand with me as we sing out to our Lord together. It'll be from the screen only. Praise God for
go to our Heavenly Father in prayer with me. Father, we come to Thee today on another Lord's Day, very thankful to You for, first of all, creation, that You made this wonderful place for us to live, for mankind to live, where everything is perfect and where 
There's no end to food and, and shelter and clothing, and you made everything for us, and we thank you so much for that. Father, we thank you for this country that we live in, for the forefathers that set this nation up. They set it up in such a way that we can have freedom to come together and worship you as we choose to. And Father, thank you for all the people that have fought and lost their lives and lost their limbs throughout history to preserve that right that we have. Father, thank you for this community, this congregation that meets here at Boonville. Thank you for the strength that we get from meeting together and enjoying each other and seeing all the wonderful things that the different people are willing to do to further your word. Father, but most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came here and lived such a perfect life with no sin that through his death, his burial, and his resurrection that we have the hope of eternal life. Father, now I ask you to bless us, bless us as we go into this service, bless the words that will be spoken, help us to understand and to take those words and to put them into our lives and that we will live a life that, Christ, that people can see Christ living in us. Bless those among us that are sick, bless those that are bereaved, Father, help them in a way that only you can. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The singing, Just As I Am, uh, I Come Broken, following Brother Ken's lesson, uh, Just As I Am, that's 924 in our book. Uh, before our lesson, we'll sing, Be Thou My Vision. Uh, this is a song we haven't sung in a while, but if you would, stand with me and sing up and lift our voices to God once again. Be Thou My
Good morning. The scripture reading will come from Proverbs chapter 13, verse 1. I'll be reading out of NIV. A wise son heeds his father's instructions, but a mocker does not respond to rebukes. Well, where did he go? Andy ran off with Opie. They went fishing. But you know, culturally for us, that's really the epitome of what a good dad is. Andy Taylor, wasn't he a good one? And Opie learned so many good lessons. Well, at least on the show. (laughs) I appreciate you being here today. And yes, it is Father's Day. And we are thankful for the good fathers that we have as a part of this congregation here. We see our young people involved in all manner of activities. And while there are lots of folks who contribute to that, I think in the home, the ultimate figure of leadership is a father. And I just want to thank our fathers today for the good job that you're doing in raising these young people in very difficult time in history, very tumultuous, and there is a lot that's going against you as you're trying to serve God to the very best of your ability. Someone already said to me, boy, I hope you have a nice sermon for fathers today because we catch it all the time. And I said, no, it's going to be rough today. (laughs) I'm just going to share with you what God has said, especially concerning this text, and you see quite a contrast, don't you? You see on the one hand a wise son who absolutely heeds what his father instructs him. And on the other hand, you have a scoffer, or as the translation was read for us, a mocker. That person does not listen to his father's instruction. Quite a contrast. We're going to look at one central character of the scriptures who dealt with both sides of that equation. And Lord, help us. We are going to be able to get through some, well, some difficulties today. I hope that we can get through some grief and some failure and some futility along the way. Becky... Kendrick asked me if we would pray for a family today who has suffered a tragedy. This is her grandnephew, Dylan and Catherine Rains. They had a baby born at 23 weeks. The baby lived one day and passed from the life. The mother, though, is still in critical condition. So we want to remember her. And also Linda Beard's here today. She has progressed to such a degree that she can navigate our aisles and be a part of this fellowship today. So we rejoice in that, don't we? So glad to have her back. Let's pray together. We'll be praying for these and we'll be asking God to bless us in our study of his word today. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we have come 
to this time in history. And Father, I pray that we will make good use of it. I pray, Lord, that you will bless all of us as we think about our fathers, those who have been in a leadership place in our lives and who have provided for us. I know that there are some who perhaps did not have the luxury of a father in their home. Nevertheless, someone loved them enough to take on the role and to do their very best to be a substitute, I guess, in that situation. But Father, whether it is uh, literally our fleshly father or someone who stood there in the gap to help us to transform in our lives, we are grateful. And bless us, Lord, as we remember perhaps fathers who have passed from this life who had such great influence on us. Lord, I pray that you will bless the ones that I mentioned just a moment ago, especially be with the Reigns family as they've suffered an unexpected loss and also are dealing with complications in the case of the mother. And Father, I just I pray that you will bless this family, that she can recover and that you will strengthen and encourage them in their loss. We're also grateful that Linda's here today and any others who have recovered and are just a tribute to your care over us. I pray, Lord, that you will continue to bless them with sufficient health and strides so that their normal state will return. Bless us, Father, now as we study from your word and help this word to become impactful to us such that if we're fathers, that we will heed the advice of Scripture. If we are supporters of fathers, I pray, Lord, that we will lift them up in ways that not only are benefit to them, but that also glorify you as our Heavenly Father. Help me to communicate that, Lord, and be with those who hear it, that they can receive it in the very best and most useful way. In Jesus' name, amen. So, a wise son, he's the one who will heed instruction, but that scoffer, he is the one who just does not listen. He won't be obedient to what he refers to as the next step beyond just simple instruction, and that is rebuke. You should have known better, but you've scoffed at the rebuke. You've mocked it. The one who's wise, uh, he's the one, he'll receive discipline. You can instruct him in any way that's going to be profitable from the standpoint of the Word of God. And that wise person, whether they agree perhaps with the sentiment that's expressed or not, they're going to say, wait, wait, this is from the Lord. I'm going to walk in the Lord's way. And so whatever, Lord, here am I, send me. I, I, have, I have made my heart malleable able to be formed and framed by your will and your dictates. That is, that is pure wisdom on the part of a person, in particular, a son. 
who opens himself to such instruction. Contrasting that one who is the mocker, the one who hears the word but kicks back against it. That person, that person does not receive discipline, probably because they feel they've already got it figured out. I, I don't need instruction from the Lord. I'm fine. Look at the telltale signs of the life that I've lived so far. I've been in control. Everything's fine. I've got this. It's the mindset of somebody that I guess we would kind of, with a smirk, thinking maybe this isn't possible, but they think they've got it all figured out. They don't need instruction because, well, we say sarcastically, they already know everything. There are two sorts of folks in this world, both characterized in this one short verse here. The person who is malleable, willing to do what the Lord says, and the person who is not. David was a wise man. There's no doubt about that. We read through the Psalms. We get a picture by inspiration of the kind of mindset that David had. Willing to do and set his mind about the will of the Lord and accomplishing the will of the Lord in the actions of his life. In fact, in Acts chapter 13 and verse 22 we find out that that is what really separated David from his brethren. That's what led to his being appointed as king over Israel. He had a heart after God's own heart. And that text reminds us that he was one who had set himself to accomplish the will of God. What kind of heart did he have? Well, he wasn't perfect. And as we see through the history of his life, he made moral decisions that had consequences, great consequences, even against his house. Yet, his overall decision, his overall determination of heart was set to do the will of God. Did he accomplish it every time? No. But the mindset, the heart was, that's, that's what I want to do. A man after God's own heart. One who would do God's will. That wise David had a wisdom that also translated into his fatherhood. An example of that would be in the way that he dealt with the next king of Israel, Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 2, we have a section there where David is giving some final words of wisdom to Solomon who would become the wisest man who ever lived. So here is kind of the, the preemptive strike on, on the will of God. I'm going to, through his father, establish a mindset in Solomon. So Solomon, as you are beginning, David, as I'm passing from this life, I want to hand off this bit of advice, that you walk in the ways of the Lord. Now, he breaks that down in a lot of different ways, but the simplest notion that is expressed, especially in these first four opening verses, is just make sure that you set your mind and your heart to doing the will of the Lord. Walk in his ways. Man, that's grand instruction. And as a result of that, there was an easy transition 
from David to Solomon. And then Solomon, at least initially, began in those very ways, seeking the will of the Lord and opening himself up to the dictates of God, such that God would fill him with unimaginable wisdom to rule and judge the people of God. Astounding. And yet as much as David was very wise in his relationship with Solomon, seeing a son who just soaked up that instruction and was willing to follow in effect in the footsteps of his own faithful father with the right kind of heart. There was also another son who was very problematic in the life of David. And that was the son by the name of Absalom. Absalom, despite all of the efforts and the intended instruction by David and the efforts that he put forth to to help keep his path straight and to rebuke him, but be rejected by those rebukes and for animosity between the two to continue to grow on the part, fueled by the hatred and the spite that was in the heart of Absalom, regardless of the efforts that David put forth, there would be grief, there would be failure, and there would be futility throughout the entire history of the relationship that existed between David and Absalom. There's a lot that stands as difference between us and David I'm not a king and neither are you. I can't imagine what that would be like having people subject to you as they were to him. I don't know what it's like literally to live in that culture. Sometimes like in vacation Bible school, we'll do some dress up, yeah? And we'll try to get into the character, but we do not really know what goes into all of that and truly what all those things represented to the culture. But there is something that we can know, at least from these kinds of instruction and an examination of the turmoil that existed in this relationship. We can know how to be a father. Now, this lesson today is designed to do a few things. One is just to highlight some of the frustrations that any of our fathers are going to face and to encourage you in it. But it's also helpful, I think, for those of us who maybe aren't fathers or we support fathers. We, we want fathers not to feel like they're out in an island somewhere or doing this all alone or it's me against the world, but to know that they have support and folks who are there with them fighting along right beside them, doing the very best to deal with these kinds of stressful situations in the life. I want to think of a father who is trying to develop this wise son as being, in the case of David and Solomon, both himself a wise father as well. And I see that a father's wisdom doesn't always shelter him from times of grief. 2 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 33 is one of those passages of scripture that at least to me, especially as a father, because 
you know, fathers relate to one another. We tell one another stories about our home life, and we try to be, I guess, a support to one another. It's a challenge, but here David has done everything that he potentially could have done in his relationship with Absalom. He has offered more opportunities for that young man to come right than anyone could reasonably expect of anyone. But motivated by an incredible love for his son, he just always was going the extra mile. But here in this moment, news has come that Absalom has died And David says, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died in your place, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. This is quoted here in in this passage, very last verse of this chapter, next chapter few verses into it, we have the same kind of expressions, just over and over and over again. And, and as much as it's recorded a couple of times, which in itself is unique in the scriptures, to have a repetition of statements, especially of humans within moments, here is David, you, you can imagine just over and over, everywhere he goes, he is, he is in grief, he is mourning, he is weeping over the death of this imperiled son. Oh, my son. Oh, oh, my son. Absalom was, Absalom was handsome. Absalom was gifted. I'm pretty sure that as much as This love that he had for Absalom just seems to go through every page, even when there, even there, when there's a quarrel, even when, when Absalom is taking unbelievable, practically unspeakable actions against David and his, his reign and against the nation itself, despite all of those things, David just hangs on in his love to Absalom. David had other sons, but there was just this connection with Absalom. I've got the idea, you know, a lot of what is said about Absalom, his appearance, the skill that he had, very much is reflective of David. As much as he would have loved every child that he had in his family, there was just this special connection with Absalom because I'm sure that he saw himself in Absalom. And so every time Absalom made a terrible misjudgment or fell into sin, that just, that just compounded the grief that David felt because David in large part was responsible because of his own moral transgressions for the sin that was in his house. It was Absalom who had killed his own stepbrother Amnon because he had taken advantage of 
Absalom's full sister had raped her. And so Absalom just was passionate about what is right and what is wrong. And David could see that in his own son. And yet he couldn't just let him continue to go and his life spiral. And so he wanted to help guide him. And here is this troubled soul trying to do right and now see maybe, maybe the only way I can justify it, Absalom thinks, is just to take the kingdom itself. And so you know, David is looking at Absalom and he is so in love with this pattern of himself in youth, making all these mistakes. Let me help you. And despite all of it, still is involved in transgressions that have consequences that affect not, not just the immediate circle of the family, but the entire nation. And he has the mind, I'm just going to take the entire nation away from you, Father. But despite all that, here he is at word that his son has died and filled with grief. That is, that is a kind of love that never fails. It's kind of love really patterned after the love of God, yes? A love that despite our transgressions, despite our returning to sin, always stands ready to receive us back. I'll never fully comprehend the breadth of Romans 5, 6 and following. That when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Some people might imagine dying for a righteous person because it seems like there's some value in that. Or you know, even a good person Show some indication you're going to do right. But to die or to encompass even the idea of acceptance of one who outright sins in rebellion seems unfathomable. And yet there is Jesus. So back to our story. There is also David. I said that he was in grief. I did not say that he was in relief. You know what I'm saying? Here's somebody trying to take my kingdom. Here's someone who is so threatening of me that he is chasing me, literally trying to take my life, my own son. How could he turn against me this way? Those would be the kinds of questions that most of us would be posing how can I get away with it? Oh, he's died? Well, you know, I want to go through the pattern of grief, but boy, somewhere in my heart, I'm kind of relieved that that's happened. That is not David. This love was undeniable. I, despite all these things that he has done, I love this son. I, I, I wanted to see this thing rectified, brought back into relationship. And now he is gone and over and over and over. My son, my son, if only I had died in your place. On and on and on. 
it went. A pattern of grief comes into the life of a man filled with wisdom. And the proper response there is not to shut down the thing or be glad that it's over, but truly just to soak in that moment of mourning. A wise father also is not sheltered from failure. All that I can read about David, just on the surface, of course, without going deep into his personal life, that that guy was a success. I think of him in the success of the realm of music. And we could just stop right there. 150 very distinct Psalms, five books within the book of Psalms, the Psalm book of Israel, not just used during the initial production, but all throughout the history. We, we have songs in our song book now directly related to those in the book of Psalms. Amazing, the singer in Israel. Even Saul, when he was troubled in his spirit, called for David to sing and to play on the harp to soothe his aching, suffering soul. David was an amazing musician, but he was quite the soldier. And we can talk about how he was with his band of men as, as they effectively became a thorn in the side of Saul. But if you would go back to the beginning, the origination of this, the place in which David, that shepherd boy, was raised to this, this great warrior status as he took on the giant Goliath. With one smooth river stone, he used that sling and killed that giant, brought him down, and then took that enormous sword of Goliath and severed his head. You know, David had actually gone into that battle with five stones. You say, well, where's his faith? Well, turns out that there were five of those boys. Goliath was only one of them. I've got the idea that David was there going to kill Goliath, and if the other four giants showed up, he'd take them on too. Here is David who trusts in the Lord. What kind of soldier was he? Well, I can't really talk specifically about the skill, although there are stories upon stories of the courage of going into battle and winning. Yet the man himself, well, I can't hardly separate the skill from the trust in God's empowerment. And if you were to ask David, how did you develop yourself? How did you gain this skill? I'm pretty sure that the first response would be, all glory to God. Quite the soldier. He was an administrator too. I mean, he's a king. He is a leader of men. And it's just astounding the kind of power that David must have had when he walked into a room. People could just feel it was tangible, the strength of character within this man and of strong leadership. He would say the word and men would risk their lives in order to satisfy it. And he was quite the politician. A lot of times they would get in scrapes, but David seemingly could always just talk his way out of anything. Even with Saul, 
Saul's attempts on his life, David took advantage even of those and was able to sway the heart of his initial enemy at least for a time. David, David was quite the success story. Except when it comes to Absalom. There's a text in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26. You know that one pretty well. It says, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I have another question developed out of that text. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his family? Or in this case, what profit is it to him if he gains the whole world and loses his son? Or what would a man give in exchange for his family, in exchange for his son? We might say initially, just as that question is posed to us abruptly, without much thought about the real situation and the ramifications of some of the choices that we've made, we would say, well, Ken, obviously, obviously, I would give anything for my family. I would do anything for them. But today's moral, modern Dilemma revolves around the fact that as much as people have every good intention to do the right thing, to put their family first, so many people have done very much the opposite of that. They have chosen their success over the success of their family, the the success of their, their business, the success of their fame and their fortune. They would put that first to the neglect of those that they've been entrusted with. Maybe maybe we ought to remember the perspective from which a father should be watching over the concerns of his life. I I know that your career is a concern. I know that the business that you run requires a lot of time. I've got it. Peace. I understand that. But God has entrusted you with something that is going to last for eternity. That business eventually, even if you don't see it, your family will eventually see it. Eventually that business will go away or it'll be transformed into something else or it'll be melted into another business. That which you spent your whole life in order to build will falter. But those children that you have, they are marked for eternity. They were born under your care. And they will physically die one day, but spiritually they are going to either live or die forever. So what perspective? Well, these are not new thoughts. In fact, probably every time you hear me talk about fathers, you hear me point to these same verses because they haven't changed. They're the same instruction that they have always been. But it bears repeating because if there is the threat that we would 
we would falter in this, then we're talking about consequences that don't just last a time, they last forever. Proverbs 22, verse 6, you know that. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And God help us that we would give attention to the training of our children so that when they become adults, they are just walking right down the line. When David instructed his own son Solomon, one of the primary objectives was, son, just make sure that you walk in the ways of the Lord. Train them up that way. It was so important among Israel that in Deuteronomy chapter 6, following the instruction regarding the Ten Commandments, here God is instructing His people to teach them diligently to their children. When you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, there'll be a signs on your hands, frontless between your eyes. You'll write them on the doorpost of the house and the gate, wherever the children are, have the word of God before them. You be presenting, you be the example of God's word in their life. Don't stop, let them be infused with it. In the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long in the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Lots of places where we can put our children where they will gain instruction from the Lord. But number one is the father. Now, if he's off somewhere gaining success, oh, David was successful. Wow, he was a musician. He was a soldier. He was an administrator. He was a politician. He had it going, a man among men, but he had a son who now he grieves over. My son, my son, I would have died in your place if I could have. It's important that as fathers, we take advantage of the opportunity, opportunity that is before us. There's plenty of time to pursue success, but there is a small window of opportunity for you to truly grab hold of the heart of your child and make inroads that will last for an eternity. A father's wisdom is also sometimes harmed. There's no shelter for it in terms of futility. How about this for futility? If only I had died in your place. If only. Here's what I believe about David right here in this moment. And I, I get it just, just from how this unfolds into the very next chapter. This isn't just a one-off statement by David. He's saying this over and over and over again. He just cannot wrap his mind around the fact that this son that he was so hopeful to bring back to get this thing worked out, he is now dead and there is no change in anything now. I have, I have every belief that what David said right here, he meant that, absolutely. 
If I could have, I would have. But the thing is, I mean, he couldn't. There wasn't anything he could do about that. I feel for David, don't you? And how many times I've said similar things. I would die for my children. You would, wouldn't you? I would do that. I've got little grandchildren now, and I tell you what's the truth. I definitely would lay down my life for my grandkids. Kind of fits in the pattern of that statement, right? There might be some righteous people I would die for, and there might be some good, boy, let me tell you, I would die for my children. But all that's hypothetical. Hypothetical. Even what David is saying right here. He's grieving over his son. Not relieved, grieved. This tears my heart out. I was so hopeful. He is dead. My son, my son, Absalom. If only I had died in your place, I believe it. If only. But even that, as meaningful as it is, and I believe it with all my heart, as much as I believe I would do the same thing for my children, the fact is, that's just hypothetical. What about actual? What would you do for your children? Short of dying for them. Sometimes we're willing to do the utmost without always doing just the little necessary things. Let me tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not hypothetical. This is actual. The text that we looked out a moment ago from Romans chapter 5, verse 6, that when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. This is not a hypothetical, I would have if I could have. He did before we even realized that's what we needed. In a state where we could not help ourselves, Jesus died in our place. Now, you say in our place, Ken, and yet we still know that people die. He's not talking about dying in the stead of our physical death necessarily, but about a worse kind of death, a spiritual death, a separation from God. Jesus died so that we could be with him, not just temporarily, but forever. Jesus loved us that much even when we were in our sin and had no mind about turning back to him. And even yet, if you sit in that pew with no indication whatsoever of acting, maybe you're just here because it's Father's Day and you're like, well, you know, I was, I was forced to be here and I'll be here. I don't like it. That's peace because Jesus still loves you. Jesus still died for you. Even if you go to your grave not accepting the truth, not obeying the gospel, Jesus waited his entire life because he loved you so much. Even to the last dying breath, he was willing to wash your sins away. Jesus isn't hypothetical. Jesus is reality. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died to take away the complication of dying in sin. Remember that text from Romans chapter 6, verse 23? 
for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Wait, eternal life is being said in contrast with what he just simply said was death. But that death he's referring to here is not just simply, I live and I die. He's talking about eternal separation from God. The wages of sin is eternal separation from God. Who can save me from that? Oh, the mourning of God in the loss of one soul. My son, my son, or my daughter, name the name. Oh, I wish I could. Wait a minute. (laughs) Wait a minute. I did die for you. And yet even in that you refused. I can understand the sense of futility right here. I went to all this trouble to help you, son, and now, if only I could have. But God says to us, wait, as far as we are concerned, you and I, there is still hope. I guess we were talking a moment ago about things that were different between us and David. Here's something that is very different between us and David. David's story is finished. I can read about it. In fact, there at 1 Kings chapter 2, when he's talking to Solomon, he's about to die. David's story is finished. What happened with his family? It's just history. He had success with some. He had failure with others. It's right there. You can read about it. But with you and me, especially our fathers today, whatever happened back there, that might be written, but there is still so much more to write as long as God will allow it to happen. There is still opportunity to right any wrong that has occurred. Uh, We've been so hopeful and it's not over yet. We're not in the period of mourning. It It isn't finished. So as much as it has ever been true to this progression all the way to the end of history, right where we are in this moment, from here on, there is nothing but hope in our relationship with our children, and ultimately in our relationship with our Father in heaven. Hey, David, David, David was a good father, but he had problems. He had to go through grief. He had to experience failure and futility, and so do we. But there is yet hope. Today may be your father and... Maybe the previous chapters aren't so grand, but wouldn't it be wonderful that today you could start a new chapter, a chapter to be proud of, a chapter that is graced by the will of God, of walking in that way, of being a blessing to your children at whatever age they are, to be a blessing in the life of your grandchildren. And if God wills it, even great-grandchildren to create a legacy of hope and forgiveness. Today, why don't we just start that? On Father's Day 2023, I started all over. Wouldn't that be amazing? If you're not a child of God today, today's the opportunity you've been looking for. Perhaps the last opportunity that you'll ever have 
God has made every provision for the salvation of your soul, but you have to accept that gift. Today, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you're repenting of your sins. Confess your faith before this number. Have your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. You'll be buried in this water right over here. Very comfortable. You'll be buried in that water. The old man of sin will be left behind. You'll rise in newness of life, a new creature, a fresh start, beginning a new chapter. Why don't we let today be a day of renewal? If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, now is your opportunity. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand together and sing?
Jackson said, today I didn't know you'd be talking to me. And I told him, yes, sir, I was. But actually, I'm talking to all of us. We all need Jesus. Whatever stands between us and what's about to happen here, we've got to get rid of that. Eternity is what's at stake. And for Jackson here today, the person that he is in this very moment is going to die and be gone. When he comes out of this water, his sins are going to be forgiven. He begins a new history for himself and for whatever family will come after him. And that is not just a blessing to him, that is a blessing to all of us. So Jackson, based on the confession that you made, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, for the forgiveness of your sins. Amen. Amen. Frank, will you pull that back up? Will you pull that back up? We'll go to the very end, that next song, What the Lord Has Done in Me. Everybody's going to sing these real quick, okay? You got them? Speed singing. Whoop, that was it. What the Lord has done to me. Let's all sing. Let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say
anyone needs a, uh, an emblem, the ushers will bring them to you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so in awe. We're so in awe of everything. Everything that you created. Father, this plan, this perfect plan, brought this perfect chain of events. And Father, when your son came and gave every one of us the opportunity to live with thee in eternity, we don't deserve this. Father, we get so tied up in our lives that we sometimes forget how truly blessed we are and how truly great the greatest gift that was ever given to us, how it truly was. Father, as we prepare to eat this bread that represents your son Jesus' body, we remember and we know of his perfection. We remember and we know of the brutality and humiliation, the senseless way he was treated, and yet the love he maintained for all of us to this day and forward. Father, we're so grateful. We're thankful for the love that you rained down on us and the love that poured through your Son for each and every one of us that we may be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to share of this fruit of the vine, we know it represents the blood that was given by your son, but he did not have to. We know it represents what saved us, though we didn't deserve it. Father, may our faith increase and may our love forever expand for these gifts were the greatest gifts ever given and we're so thankful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Let us bow. Our Heavenly Father, we come so grateful for not only our spiritual blessings, but the material as well. And as we prepare to give something back, may we do it in such a way as you have said in your word, cheerfully. And may we also do it with a heart of gratitude. And may we realize that in the scheme of things that this is the least that we can do in return for all that you have done for us. And for this we ask, and in Christ's name, amen. Good morning. If you're visiting with us this morning, we invite you to come back at any opportunity that you have. Uh, as always, a reminder of your bulletin, uh, the sick list in there, it's rather extensive, so be mindful of that. We had 300 in attendance this morning. Uh, just to add to emphasize some of the announcements that are in your bulletin that, uh, that affects you today. Uh, if you like your picture made for a new church directory and your last name begins with A through L, if you'll meet in front of the auditorium, that's on the left side over here this morning uh, after morning worship. Also, all Mid-South Week 6, that's Horizons Week, campers and one parent are asked to meet in front of the auditorium on the right side this morning after worship. So if you have to be on both sides, you're going to have to find someone else to represent one of those. But if that affects you, please do that this morning after services. Uh, also, I was asked to announce the Golden Circle, the Wheeler Lake Boat Tour, Friday, July the 7th. Uh, they're going to eat at, and this is what it says, I'm assuming this is a legitimate restaurant, Two Fat Sisters is where they're going to eat on July the 7th. Uh, it's a $20 per person. Um, Bus will leave at 7.30 a.m. There's a 24-person limit, so if you're interested in that, please sign the list uh, in the foyer, even if you've already signed it previously. I have a card to read this morning. It says, thank you for the cards, visits, 
food, and most of all for your prayers during my recent hip replacement. It is truly a blessing to be part of this congregation. I love you all. Linda Beard. That's all the announcements I have this morning. If you'll bow with me, I'll dismiss us in prayer. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to come and to worship you in song and praise. Father, we thank you for the many wonderful blessings in life that you've bestowed upon each and every one of us, Father. Father, we ask you to continue to be with the elders of this church that they may continue to lead us in a manner that will be pleasing unto thee. Also today, Father, we're so thankful for Jackson and the decision he's made to put on God and to live his life for you, Father. Just be with us and help us to continue to lift him up and be with him and guide him throughout his daily life. Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross that we might have an opportunity of home in heaven with thee one day. It's through his precious name we pray. Amen.